So welcome back to the Procedures Podcast, and we are very lucky to have Mr. Matthias Russ with us today, and I'll let him introduce himself as an orthopaedic surgeon from the Alfred Hospital. That's right, an orthopaedic surgeon that has an interest in trauma and hip and pelvic surgery, so we do lots of severe trauma at the Alfred, and I'm involved in general and also specialized pelvic surgery, so I have experience now more than 25 years in trauma in particularly in severe trauma and multi-trauma. Thank you very much for coming along and talking to us today, Matthias. And the topic that we're going to discuss is the pre-hospital or retrieval amputation. Now, this is obviously a controversial area because amputation is not something that as an emergency physician or as a retrievalist will take lightly. And I suppose the question for me and for the audience is where does this really fit in in your mind in, in a real-world setting? Yeah, it's, it's indeed can be seen controversial but I think if we look at the fact that a patient can be trapped on the accident side and not retrieved, we sometimes have to make uh, a decision how to retrieve the patient. And if the limp is trapped, we may have to amputate. And generally, if a limp is trapped, it is severely mangled. So it's not that we have to amputate a healthy limp. It is compromised. And we are in a situation where we have to consider life before limp. We have to do the same decisions really in theatres as well. If we have multiple leg injuries and the patient has, for instance, severe chest or head trauma, we can't do fancy reconstructions and sometimes we have to decide to amputate, which is essentially the same decision. However, it's been transferred out of the hospital in that emergency situation that a patient is trapped and essentially would die if we can't retrieve them. There are hazards out there, obviously, with fire, contamination, exsanguination, etc., etc. So it is a very rare decision, but I think a surgeon can't always be available. So at the time when a retrievalist or an emergency physician is on the site, he may have, have the opportunity to save the patient's life. Okay. So it's fairly clear that this is really a, a procedure that's, uh, that's not for the everyday. This is a, a rare procedure that we'll do only if, uh, if we're pushed to in a patient who's trapped by a limb. That's exactly right. Generally, we don't have to do an amputation because we, have, we are able to put tourniquets on limbs to avoid that the patient's exsanguinating and we don't have to amputate the leg. We don't have time in the field, obviously, to put vascular size on or anything. So we generally, if we have to do that, also in military settings, it's well known. A guillotine amputation is performed and the patient is retrieved as soon as possible. So it is a little bit of like in a military environment when we have the threat of being assaulted by the enemy and, and the patient has to be retrieved. Same can happen in a car. It's very rare. I would think it is in probably once a year, maybe in a major trauma center or less. But uh, if it happens, it can be quite beneficial for the patient if the person who's on site is actually trained and knows how to do it. So I think passing that knowledge on over not only in the surgical community, but also with emergency and retrieval physicians is pivotal. In terms of having to prepare for this procedure, obviously it would be ideal to have a, an entire theatre set up, but that's not going to be possible. What is your minimum equipment set that you would have for this sort of procedure? The minimum is re really that we need to avoid that the patient's exsanguinating. So it would be great to have a tourniquet. So I think it's actually pivotal to have a tourniquet. We would like to have a, a double tourniquet, obviously, to have double security. And then in the end, we need a knife to cut the soft tissues. And we need also 
uh, device to cut bone. Now, here we go. We would use a, a oscillating saw in Cetus. Again, it will be very hard to staff every emergency physician or retrieval physician with that. So I think a jiggly saw would be appropriate. However, a jiggly saw is a small hand-driven saw. We need to train emergency physicians to use that confident because in a stress situation and under the threat of fire or anything else or any hazards on the side or in an awkward position, we have to be really confident to use the device. And in terms of the tourniquet, just going back to that, have you got a particular tourniquet that you've used that you like? Is there like a combat tourniquet or something specific yeah, that you would Yeah, we suggest? know that from the military environment, obviously. Unfortunately, these days with all the IEDs, lower limb injuries and lower limb amputations are commonplace in battlefields like Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria. So we should have ideally a combat tourniquet like the medivacs have out there to put on. So we have, as I said, double security, basically two tourniquets with two divided chambers to have security. So something like the cat tourniquet would be something That's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the procedure itself, obviously it will be very much limb dependent where you make the incision, where you actually do the, the amputation. Do you have any suggestions on a general technique or a general approach to how you would actually approach a limb that's trapped for amputation? A limb that's trapped for amputation will have, for instance, fractures. So we could consider amputating through the fracture so we actually avoid the effort to cut bone but in general, we do also a guillotine amputation. That means we just basically cut the leg straight off without creating a flap. And we would amputate as distal, so as far away from the center of the body as we can to have opportunities to create a good definitive stump. This is a well-known technique in septic limbs where we have to do an amputation. We do a guillotine amputation there, salvage the infection, and then come back and do a definitive stump. Or in contaminated open fractures where we are forced to amputate, we do exactly the same. We do first step a guillotine amputation, and later we come back and do a definitive. And that's the same we would do in the field. So we want to save as much limb as we can and then have the opportunity in the hospital to create a fantastic and good functional stump. Uh, opportunity is also if in a very rare and obviously a difficult scenario where we have a patient who is trapped and we don't have a device to cut bone available, then we could choose to do a through joint amputation that could be, for instance, the ankle joint, the forefoot joint like Liz Frank, or in a more severe case, through knee amputation. Higher up, obviously, we can't consider a hip disarticulation because we can't use a tourniquet. And with an amputation, a hip disarticulation, first, it's technically extraordinarily difficult. And even in a theater setting, only some surgeons are able to do that. For instance, pelvic or hip surgeons or vascular surgeons. And we can't use a tourniquet and the patient would simply exsanguinate if we can't achieve good uh, hemostasis. And the same principles would apply for the upper limb? That's true. The upper limb, the same. The closer we get to the core of the body, obviously the more difficult it is to apply a safe tourniquet and the more difficult is it to amputate. So in review, a guillotine amputation in the most distal point possible would be the most ideal and secondary 
plans may be to actually amputate through either a fracture or through a joint if you That's are unable right. to cut if the you, bone. If, if you're forced to do. Great. That makes it quite clear in terms of, of how we do that. So any tips or tricks or pitfalls that you might envisage that the non-expert at doing this may actually encounter? Yeah, it is actually not easy to, it sounds very easy to cut the soft tissues in an adult, but we unfortunately do have a quite obese population. So a thigh can be quite enormous and it can become, I would think, almost messy to do that, uh, to safely apply a tourniquet in a very obese patient. Also cutting bone with a chicle saw is not easy. And if the patient is trapped, we cannot put the patient in an ideal position to do the amputation. So we are forced with the environment to do it in an awkward position. So we should make sure that we are actually able and positioned to do the amputation safely. That's very important. If we do have to do the amputation upside down, it is very difficult in an awkward body position for us or an awkward posture for us to do it. So really the first step is to put ourselves in a position where we safely and effectively do the amputation and not basically using a knife, cut the soft tissues and then get surprised that we actually can't get around the leg, for instance, to do the osteotomy or the amputation through the bone. That's very important. And that's important to learn that we can do that or that we consider doing that, putting ourselves in a good position. Okay, that's a very good tip and not something that you immediately think of, but there are going to be obviously extraneous circumstances in the in the community when you encounter this. So. That's right. So you've got the limb amputated and then from there, what's your post-procedure care that you would um, suggest? Obviously, you're in an out-of-hospital environment. That's right. So I would cover... The, the soft tissues with antiseptics, preferably uh, betadine, which is uh, basically everywhere available. I would just use a, I would use a crepe bandage and apply it firmly like we use it in, in stumps. And if possible, I would salvage the amputated limb. It's very unlikely that it will be replanted or that the limb would be refixed to the body, but we should retrieve the limb put it in a, in a bag and take him back to the hospital, we can actually use what we call spare parts. That means we could use the bone and the skin, or uh, sometimes it is possible to use, for instance, the oscalsis to uh, use that as a soft tissue and bone coverage if we have a short below knee stump, etc., etc. So there are more opportunities than the eye catches for the inexperienced. So always salvage the limb, bring it back, and it can be assessed. And in particularly the skin can be quite handy used, or we could use the reversed vein grafts to uh, use as implants or etc etc is there any um, particular way you'd suggest that that was actually preserved while it transports to hospital you mentioned a bag should it, it be should put be on a ice bag or? and it should be eyes around so the eyes should not directly touch the soft tissues sure. so the limb should i mean a bag and then a second bag with eyes should be used on top of that okay so in a bag tied up with another bag that's um, right with ice in it that's okay. exactly right Obviously, this is an, an unusual situation, and if there is a possibility to involve the local hospital and the orthopedic team in that hospital, you know, if you were receiving a patient to this hospital, for example, at what point would you like to know about this? Oh, well, it's always good to know early about everything, and it's, we know we're nothing without a team. So the emergency physician can even consider consulting an orthopedic surgeon who might be on call at that hospital or has particular expertise in trauma to get advice how to do it, and if it's necessary to do it, that's always good. I think backup and teamwork is pivotal, definitely. Yeah, I think that's good advice. From my point of view, I think if I was in the 
community and I was encountered with this situation obviously there's a time critical nature to it but it's probably less time critical than taking on someone's airway for example and, and intubating them so from that point of view perhaps we're we're better off to to involve all of the the stakeholders through the process speak to the local orthopedic team perhaps even before we go on and actually do an amputation if time allows and if the situation allows that's right we should not forget obviously the abc what's important is important and then after that's all been uh, secured we can focus on the limp and generally if somebody's trapped and we have the opportunity actually to amputate it's a safe environment so we're not in engulfed in flames or anything so that's really important also that we don't lose that out of side that we actually have to protect the people who do the amputation on the side. So it is a no-go, obviously, if a patient's trapped in the car and fuels everywhere to send somebody in and say, oh, would you mind amputating this guy, get him out of the car? And then uh, we actually have two fatalities at the, at the scene instead of one. That's a very good point. So we've got the patient to the hospital and at that stage, we've obviously done our best to salvage the limb. Is there any other steps or processes that you would suggest that, that we haven't covered that you would that you Obviously, would we advise? always give antibiotics now in, on the ambulance, and we know that uh, that actually accounts for reducing the infection risk uh, up to 50%. So it's actually the most single effective measure we take. It's more effective than debridement and early surgery. So that's really important to understand that. And then, obviously, we discussed that it needs to be properly covered. The limp needs to be salvaged. And in Australia, where we have a really good ambulance system and retrieval system despite the size of our country the next hospital is not too far away with fixed wing or helicopters is there any tips you'd give for the non-surgeon if you were to have applied the tourniquet you've actually performed the amputation and you've got some ongoing vascular bleeding what would be your suggestions it's very hard in such a i say messy situation it is always good to look at the anatomy because it's actually not a miracle where the vessels are and if we have a tourniquet applied obviously there is some bleeding still distally of the tourniquet because the rest of the limb will simply exsanguinate and bleed out so i think it would be not a bad idea actually for emergency physicians to go to a theater and actually see an amputation what happens in theater how much does it bleed after the amputation is that normal not to freak out at the scene but see in the end what we use is is a tourniquet and apply pressure and that should be enough to stem it uh, obviously we need to check our tourniquet if there is more bleeding but it is not unusual if we for instance apply a tourniquet on the thigh and do a very distal amputation on the ankle there will be still up to a liter or, or more in the leg and that will get out and it's also important to understand that it has a hemodynamical impact on the patient if we do that. So you wouldn't suggest taking that extra step and suturing or trying to, or well, it's you a think very, we're getting it's, into it? It's obviously at the time a very difficult question, but the first thing is, do you have sutures? Do you have somebody to hand you an artery forceps? Do you have vascular clips? What are you having actually available? How can you be quick and is efficient, or is it more efficient to just apply pressure if it's not a spurting uh, arterial bleeding and rush to the hospital? And if you look at, for instance, if we have spleen injuries and they bleed or, or anything, what are we doing in an ambulance? We resuscitate and rush them to the hospital. We're not doing a laparotomy and try to clamp a splenic vessel. So it's sort of a similar scenario, really. Great. So thank you very much for your time, Matthias, and we'll see you on the procedures course. Okay. Thanks very much.